Ah, good morning to you. Welcome to NTD. Good morning here. Today's top stories. Former President Trump says he won't have time for retribution if he gets back in office. We bring you the highlights from his Fox News town hall last night and a surprising admission he makes about his vice president pick. Presidential hopeful Ron DeSantis wants to build a wall and Nikki Haley declares his campaign is exploding. Takeaways and analysis on the fifth GOP primary debate. Havoc wreaked across the U.S. this week by a powerful storm, but Mother Nature may not be done yet. Find out why some are calling a major tempest on the horizon as deja vu storm. A tunnel in Gaza under a desk in a child's room leads to weapons and journalists marked as terrorists. We unpack the latest in the Israel-Hamas war. Allegations of genocide as South Africa starts its legal battle against Israel in the UN's top court is calling for an immediate halt to military action in Gaza. The SEC approves the first US-listed exchange-traded funds to track Bitcoin. Will this be a game changer for the crypto industry? Entity's Don Ma breaks it down. We get a glimpse of the latest tech as we visit the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas. This year's primary focus is on next-generation AI technology with some exciting gadgets. This is NTD Good Morning. Live from our global headquarters, here are Evelyn Lee and Kevin Hogan. Welcome to NTD. Welcome. Today is Thursday, January 11th. Well, former President Trump really made it easier on himself, skipping those primary debates. A lot less homework to do. Oh, for sure, yeah. And Haley and DeSantis sure had some digging to do to do those effective jabs, huh? Yeah, I mean, I was watching it. It was a fierce debate. And talk about being in the hot seat. I mean, just two of them left on stage. And we're going to have more for you in just a moment on that. But right now, our lead story. Yeah, mocking Chris Christie's exit and hinting at his own VP pick. Former President Trump in the spotlight last night at a Fox News town hall in Iowa. And today's White House correspondent Iris Tao joins us for her observations from the town hall and more on Trump's vision of a potential second term. Former President Trump was commanding a stage all to himself here at a Fox News town hall on Wednesday night here in Des Moines, Iowa. He was cheered by his supporters as he walked on the stage throughout the town hall and even during breaks. He was actually even greeting supporters off stage 10-15 minutes after the event wrapped. So you can really see the support he has as is topping 50% in multiple polls here in Iowa. And there are a few highlights during the town hall. He responded to a major criticism by Nikki Haley and Governor DeSantis against him, which is saying that he, he's all focused on his issues during his campaign and that he's going to make this country look backward if he's reelected. Here's how he responded. I'm not going to have time for retribution. We're going to make this country so successful again. I'm not going to have time for retribution. And, and remember this, our ultimate retribution is success. That is a softer tone, though, compared with his previous remarks when he, for example, warned that President Biden will be, quote, ripe for indictment for weaponizing the Department of Justice. It doesn't mean that he's not going to prosecute President Biden when he gets in office, potentially, like he warned before that Biden will be ripe for indictment. As we saw from Kirk and Joe's speech last Friday, which is just a big whining grievance fest, that's what the Democrats do. President Trump's going to go save the country. Again, he did it before, he can do it again. 
And another highlight from the town hall is when Trump took aim at Nikki Haley by mocking a hot mic moment by former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie. Right before Chris Christie made that announcement on Wednesday night that he was going to drop out of the race in 2024. Here's what Chris Christie and Trump were saying. And she's going to get smoked. And you and I both know it. She's not up to this. Actually, the bigger story wasn't the fact that he dropped out. Nobody cared too much about that. But he had a hot mic to say that she doesn't have what it takes. She'll be creamed in the, in the election. And, I mean, I know her very well, and I happen to believe that Chris Christie is right. And all this is as Trump surprised all of us by saying that he already knew who his vice president pick would be, though he wouldn't tell us who it is. So a lot to watch for in the coming weeks and months as we wait for Trump to actually disclose his choice to voters. Back to you. And for a breakdown of Trump's town hall in Iowa, we're bringing in Terry Schilling, the president of the American Principles Project. See, there he is, Terry. Thank you so much for your time today. First, what did you think of the town hall? I thought it was phenomenal. You know, I was telling my wife, I said, Trump still got it. He never lost it. And he's going to be even better and bigger than we have ever seen before in 2024. He, he gave great pro-life answers. He explained what he was going to do on trade and immigration and energy. And it's all America first solutions. They are all things that put the American people and our economy and our cities and our safety first and foremost um, in our policy priorities. And so he's, he's still got it, my friends. And it's, it's the very good thing. I, I, I'm very optimistic optimistic, though, just from his comments and how he was speaking about things and Joe Biden's record, I'm actually more confident than ever that he's going to be victorious in November of 2024. The, the primary is done. It's over. It, it really never took off. But he I think he is going to be victorious in November. And so we need to start building and preparing for what that second term is going to look like. Terry, it's interesting you mentioned Trump's stance on abortion because he was taking a little bit of flack from those Iowa voters who were saying he wasn't taking a hard enough pro-life stance. So we'll have to see how his policies actually play out. But retribution, no retribution, is this a shift in messaging that we're seeing now? No, look, I, I think that Donald Trump, you know, he's channeling all of our energy um, and anger at, and the betrayal that we've suffered. And so when he's on the campaign trail, he's going to talk about how doing better and, and prospering and, and, and actually being successful is the best form of retribution. I don't think there's a contradiction here. I think it's all part of the plan. The, the Democrats want America to fail. They want us to shut up and go away. And the best and, and, and most powerful thing we can do is to reelect Donald Trump turn this economy around, turn this country around, protect our families, and he's our best vehicle for getting all that done. Well, saying Democrats want to do that, I mean, that might be a little bit of a step beyond the pale, just considering that they're trying to give broadband to those rural areas and that infrastructure package and a lot of other things that they're working on here. But Trump said that his leadership would see no war in Ukraine, no war in Israel. Do you think that the moderator should have pressed him a little bit more on the specifics of how he would actually carry out his foreign affairs? Uh, listen, I, I think that the, the, the conversation flowed very naturally, right? And, and I think that just based off of Donald Trump's record, uh, when he was in office, no one was messing around, right? These, these, these foreign actors, these foreign nations, these troublemakers, they cause problems when, you, when America has a weak president, right? And Donald Trump was not a weak president. They knew that if he was in office if, and they started messing around and causing havoc, that he would step in and, and, and give them retribution and, and fix things. So the, I, I didn't think, I don't, look, we should expect him to give more details, but, but frankly, I think his record speaks for itself. 
So did Trump's town hall overshadow the performance of the debaters last night? I think so. I think Donald Trump's presence in the election itself uh, overshadows the entire thing, right? I, I have friends that didn't even know that there was a debate last night because they're so focused on just reelecting Donald Trump. And he's essentially running as the incumbent Republican president. Um, and, and I don't think anyone should be shocked by that. He's he's being persecuted and, and attacked by the deep state and by this regime that's in power. And, and I, I can't help but uh, be on the same side as him. Well, thank you for contributing to our show. Terry Schilling, president of the American Principles Project. Thank you, guys. And while Trump was teasing voters about a running mate, presidential rivals Nikki Haley and Governor Ron DeSantis went head-to-head -head in the fifth GOP primary debate. With the Iowa caucuses less than a week away, the 2024 hopefuls traded blows over policy in a last push to win voters away from the GOP frontrunner, former President Trump. And today's Jeremy Sandberg has takeaways from last night's debate. GOP presidential candidates Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley opened up in Wednesday's CNN-hosted primary debate by slinging subtle attacks and blatant accusations. Both called each other liars, with DeSantis alleging Haley works for donors. We don't need another mealy-mouthed politician who just tells you what she thinks you want to hear just to try to get your vote, then to get in office and to do her donor's bidding. Haley followed up by saying he's only mad about donors because they're no longer with him. He's upset about the fact that his, his campaign is exploding. The two Republicans directed viewers to fact-checking websites set up by their campaigns. But every time he lies, Drake University, don't turn this into a drinking game because you will be overserved by the end of the night. The rivals clashed over the U.S.'s role in supporting Ukraine against Russia, with DeSantis claiming Haley has a globalist agenda and believes the U.S. has unlimited resources. Here's the problem. You can take the ambassador out of the United Nations, but you can't take the United Nations out of the ambassador. Haley accused DeSantis of lying to Americans about having to make a choice, arguing aiding Ukraine could stop Russia from moving on to Poland and other NATO countries. You do not have to choose when it comes to national security. This is about keeping Americans safe. This is about preventing war. This is about keeping our military men and women from having to fight a war. DeSantis called Haley's hawkish foreign policy stance a carbon copy of President Biden's and an open-ended commitment, saying the U.S. needs to find a way to end the war so that it can focus on other national security concerns like the Chinese regime and at home. Haley delivered a blow to DeSantis halfway through the debate with criticism of his campaign, saying if he can't manage it well, how will he manage the country? He has blown through $150 million. I don't even know how you do that. Through his campaign, he has nothing to show for it. Ending illegal immigration was one issue where the hopefuls found common ground. We will build a wall. We will actually have Mexico pay for it in the way that I thought D Donald Trump was. DeSantis says it will be paid for by taxing remittances that immigrants send to family back home. He criticized former President Trump for promising record deportations. Trump deported fewer people than Barack Obama did when he was president. Biden's let in 8 million people just in four years. They all have to go back. We have to enforce the rule of law in this country. DeSantis says the number of people that will be amnestied if he's president is zero. We cannot do an amnesty in this country. Uh, first of all, it's going to do is cause more people to want to come illegally. So you got to enforce the law. It's got to be consistent. People got to know it's there. You also have to remove benefits uh, for people who are here illegally. Haley agreed, saying you have to deport them. Both say they want to cut government spending if they take the Oval Office and try to bring down inflation. The two candidates are pretty much tied in Iowa, where the first in the nation nominating contest will be held on Monday.
Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. A group of Iowa voters surveyed after the debate said they were voting for Trump. Some were still on the fence, but with him first in mind. Take a look. But now everyone is ready to caucus. Raise your hand if you are ready to caucus for Ron DeSantis. One. Raise your hand if you're ready to caucus for Nikki Haley. One, two. Raise your hand if you're ready to caucus for Donald Trump. One, two, three, four. Is there anyone, any other candidate who anyone else here is going to caucus for? Who did not raise their hand? Three of you. So you're not going to caucus. It's going to be oh, too yeah. cold for you. No, it's supposed I'm to be like 30 caucus. below wind chill on Monday. You're not going? No, oh, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Why, why didn't you raise your hand? You're not, because you're, I'm not decided yet. So who are you thinking between? Between Trump and DeSantis. And how do you make your decision between now and Monday? I don't know. You don't know. <laughs> what about you, Cody? I'm also stuck between uh, Trump and DeSantis. And uh, we'll, I, we'll just see how it goes, I guess, the feeling that I get on Monday. Have you learned anything from these five debates? For example, have any of you completely changed your mind about the candidate you were going to caucus for from watching these five debates? Anybody? Have any of you switched from one candidate to the other? Yes, Cody. I, uh, when these started, I was pretty certain on DeSantis, and he's done good in the debates. It's not that that's changed my mind, but now that Trump is polling a lot better against Biden and has uh, seemingly a much better shot in the swing states, I find myself kind of leaning back towards Trump. Next up, Hunter Biden's unexpected visits sparking fireworks at the Capitol. Melina Weisskopf in Washington reports on what happened and how his lawyer reacted. Former President Trump won't be giving a closing statement at his New York civil fraud trial. Find out why the judge says it's not happening. RFK Jr. threatened with legal action as the Federal Election Commission hones in on money paid to his daughter-in-law. That's after the break. Good to have you back. Two House committees have now passed a resolution to hold Hunter Biden in contempt. He made a surprise visit to Capitol Hill yesterday just as they started work on the resolution. This after he defied their subpoena last month. And today's Melina Wisecup has more from Capitol Hill. Energy was super high in that committee hearing room where Hunter Biden showed up at the very beginning for about 15 to 20 minutes, leaving right when Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene was about to speak. And the reason why Hunter Biden showed up is that he and his lawyer are trying to paint this picture that he's trying his best to comply with Republicans' demands and is open to testifying publicly, but just opposed to doing it in a private setting, where they argue that will result in Republicans twisting his words before presenting them to the public. To give you a sense for the feel in the room, watch this clip. Why can't you show up for a, a congressional deposition? You're here for a political stunt. This is just a PR stunt to you. Mr. Chairman, if the gentle lady wants to hear things. from Hunter Biden, we can hear from him right now, Mr. And Chairman. Let's take a vote and hear from I'm Hunter speaking. Biden. I've said repeatedly the after the deposition, Mr. Biden can come in front of a public hearing. Mr. Chairman, I don't want to play the video, but that is not what you said on television multiple times. Uh, we have the quotes. We can put them up. You said the witness can choose. Our first five offers were ignored. 
to selectively leak and mischaracterize what witnesses have said. Now, Republicans say that it's standard procedure for a witness, especially in a sensitive situation like this, to testify privately before giving a public testimony. Now, Republicans also argue that this is the standard that all witnesses in the January 6th Select Committee had to follow, including former President Donald Trump's children. Now, the next step for this contempt resolution is that the full House will take a vote on it, referring it to the Department of Justice, but some Republicans tell me they're concerned that it may stop there. Will Garland have two tiers of justice? Will he protect the Bidens? Will he not prosecute because of Hunter Biden's last name? Uh, in contempt of Congress, voted out by the full House, just like Bannon, just like uh, Peter Navarro. At this point, it's unclear when that full House vote will happen, but we're hearing it could happen at some time this week or later next week. Reporting from Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News. And it appears that former President Trump will not speak during the closing arguments at his civil fraud trial in New York. Judge Arthur Ngoran said yesterday Trump hasn't agreed to conditions he set for a statement. Those include not campaigning or complaining about the court or its staff. Trump could only speak about the case. It alleges that he and his two sons defrauded banks and insurance companies. If Trump doesn't agree to those terms, he won't be allowed to speak. Amid this, a small victory for Trump, he won't be kicked off the ballot in Nevada. A long-shot candidate was trying to block him. The plaintiff cited the 14th Amendment's insurrection clause. It's the same argument that has made headlines in Colorado, Maine, and Michigan. But the judge in Nevada dismissed the case for other reasons. The judge said it was because the candidate isn't sincerely trying to run for president. He was just going after Trump. The Federal Election Commission is taking a close look at RFK Jr. Officials at the FEC wrote a letter to Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Tuesday wanting more information about payments made to a relative. The commission says the presidential candidate's daughter-in-law, Amaryllis Kennedy, made roughly $74,000 last year. The FEC wants to know if those payments reflected, quote, fair market value and not the personal use of campaign funds. The commission says if Kennedy's campaign can't amend its paperwork, legal action could be taken. Emeril's Kennedy was named RFK Jr.'s campaign manager in October 2023, but FEC records show she never previously worked on a federal political campaign. And House Republicans are looking for accountability over the border crisis. The Homeland Security Committee, the House Homeland Security Committee, held its first impeachment hearing yesterday for DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. And today's Arian Pastar has more on the probe where three state attorneys general testified as witnesses. In the last three years of Secretary Mayorkas' reign, there, have been, there has been an orchestrated lack of enforcement of our nation's immigration laws. Since 2021, more than 8 million illegal immigrants have entered the United States, and that is more than the population of my home state of Missouri. Republicans are pushing to impeach Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas over the border crisis. At Wednesday's hearing, they said he didn't fulfill his duty as border crossings have reached record highs. On December 18th, the U.S. reportedly saw over 12,000 illegal border crossings in a single day, breaking the one-day record. At the same time, CBS reported that the month of December had more illegal border crossings than ever before, with around 300,000 people. Republicans claim Mayorkas has refused to enforce the country's immigration laws and enacted policies that make Americans less safe. 
Democrats, meanwhile, have blasted the move as partisan politics, calling Wednesday's hearing a waste of time. How impeaching the secretary is going to solve all these problems. How's it going to get rid of these illegal grow places in Oklahoma? How's it going to get rid of all the terrorists who are coming into Missouri? A Republican representative responded to those claims. To suggest that this hearing is tantamount to nothing more than a discussion of policy differences is to fundamentally deny the seriousness, the scope, the scale of the catastrophe at our southern border. The House might hold multiple impeachment hearings this week and next. Ariane Pastar, NTD News. A United Airlines flight in Florida made an emergency landing after an open door light started flashing shortly after takeoff. The jet leaving Sarasota, Florida diverted to Tampa and more than 120 passengers were evacuated safely from the plane. The United Airlines plane involved in yesterday's emergency landing was not a Boeing MAX 9. The FAA grounded those after the Alaska Airlines incident last week when a door plug blew out of one of their planes during flight. Both United and Alaska Airlines were forced to continue cancellations of hundreds of flights. The two airlines await regulatory approval to resume flying. Boeing said the cabin panel blowout was caused by a quality issue. Alaska and United Airlines are the only U.S. companies that fly the Boeing MAX 9 plane. And at least four people are dead after a major storm slammed the northeast with rain, flooding and fierce winds over the past two days. And today's Daniel Monahan has more on its aftermath and a warning about a powerful new storm forecasters say could pack a mighty punch. The storm knocked out power to hundreds of thousands as part of a bout of violent weather that battered most of the U.S. In Pennsylvania, a creek in Delaware County flooded over, trapping this man in a tree. The man called 911, but was unable to give his location before his phone ran out of battery. Rescuers used geolocation from his phone to track him down. Middletown Fire Company Captain Robert McLaughlin says they were able to float out a surfboard to him with a life jacket. We went in, we made contact with the patient, figured out how he was doing, um, kind of put like a personable touch to it just so that he kind of feels a little better. The man balances on the board as the swift moving water races by. Nearly to safety, the surfboard flips over, plunging the panicked man into the frigid waters. But the firemen keep cool heads and complete the rescue, pulling the man to safety. Rescuers had their hands full in New Jersey, too, rescuing this trapped man. A boat would be better suited for the deep water his truck got stuck in. Out west in California, members of the ski patrol at a resort near Lake Tahoe used shovels to help dig people out after an avalanche. Here, they seem to get some good news. But it was later reported that one person, a male, died and another person sustained non-life-threatening injuries. The avalanche occurred on steep slopes with black diamond runs for skilled skiers and snowboarders. In New Hampshire, wild waves powered by the menacing weather pounded the Hampton Beach shoreline. Nature's fury is on full display in the churning waters. As people recover from the massive storm, more dangerous weather is on the horizon. 
The new storm will place the same parts of the central and eastern U.S. at risk once more, amplifying the potential impact for those still recovering. The origins of the new storm are rooted in the Pacific Northwest, which was walloped by blizzard conditions on Tuesday. The storm is expected to morph into a much larger beast as it exits the plains by Thursday evening, setting the stage for a highly impactful event in the central and eastern U.S. Snow and gusty winds, which may lead to whiteout conditions, are forecast in parts of Kansas and Nebraska into the Midwest. Simultaneously, very cold air will plunge south out of Canada and send temperatures plummeting across much of the north-central U.S. Parts of Texas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Louisiana, and Mississippi are under a risk of severe thunderstorms on Thursday night, with severe hail, wind, and tornadoes all possible. The highest threat for tornadoes looks to center from central Arkansas through northern Louisiana. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Wow. Some intense weather out there, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Stay safe, everybody. And we're moving into break. Coming up, a tunnel in Gaza under a desk in a child's room leads to weapons and journalists marked as terrorists. We unpack the latest in the Israel-Hamas war. A legal battle over accusations of genocide begins. South Africa's call to halt Israel's offensive in Gaza at the top UN court. The latest Houthi attacks in the Red Sea spark another warning by the U.S. and action by the U.N. Good morning and welcome back. A legal battle over whether Israel's war against Hamas terrorists in Gaza amounts to genocide opened today at the United Nations top court. Two days of preliminary hearings at the International Court of Justice will examine South Africa's call for judges to intervene in Israel's offensive. South Africa is asking the court to impose binding interim orders that include Israel halting its military campaign. Israel rigorously denies the genocide allegation. A decision will likely take weeks, and the case could take years to resolve. The Hamas-run Gaza Ministry of Health claims over 23,000 people have been killed in Gaza and that two-thirds are women and children. The number does not distinguish between civilians and combatants. And we have updates coming out of Israel and Gaza. Israel's ground offensive had discovered further evidence of hostages being kept in underground tunnels. Israeli Defense Forces also confirmed two Palestinian journalists as members of a Gaza-based terrorist organization. Israel's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu restated that Israel is fighting Hamas terrorists, not the Palestinian people. More on this now from Entities Cost MNS. Israel says it has confirmed the names of two Palestinian journalists responsible for operating a drone attack on Israeli forces on January 7th. The two journalists were Hamza El-Dadu and Mustafa Turia. The information is based on documents found by IDF members during a raid in Gaza. On Wednesday, Israel's military said it had found evidence hostages were present in an underground tunnel in the city of Khan Yunis. We found in this tunnel hostage remains, hostage DNA, hostages were held here in this tunnel system. The military showed the tunnel to journalists who were escorted into a bombed-out neighborhood. 
Yeah. What can you tell us concretely about that learning curve? Is it amazing growth? There's a lot of thought and a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of money. And We've come across uh, not once and not twice uh, in a house where we find Hamas firing from. Uh, we will go in and we will find Hamas with uh, women and children there uh, as uh, human shields. The IDF did not elaborate further on what exactly was found in the tunnel, nor when the hostages were held there. According to Hagari, the hostages remain unidentified and were held in what he described as difficult conditions. It also remains unclear if the hostages are still alive. According to an IDF post on X, another tunnel shaft was located under a desk in a children's room at another location. It led to a tunnel that contained weapons, including RPG missiles and rockets, and was used as a training and combat area. Israel's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said in a statement on January 10th that Israel has no intention of permanently occupying Gaza or displacing its civilian population. Israel is fighting Hamas terrorists, not the Palestinian population. And we are doing so in full compliance with international law. The IDF is doing its utmost to minimize civilian casualties, while Hamas is doing its utmost to maximize them by using Palestinian civilians as human shields. Israel has come under pressure from the White House. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken met with Netanyahu on Tuesday, after which he remarked that Israel must stop taking steps that undercut Palestinians' ability to govern themselves effectively. Meanwhile, dozens gathered at the Tel Aviv Museum of Art on Wednesday evening for a vigil for hostages. The event was hosted by the family of Zagi Dekil Chen, a hostage still held by Hamas. The evening consisted mainly of singing and short speeches. Dekel Chen is one of the roughly 140 Israeli hostages still believed to be held captive. Kost MNS, NTD News. The UN Security Council is demanding that Iran-backed Houthi groups stop their Red Sea attacks. The demand comes after naval forces shot down over 20 drones and missiles fired by Yemen-based Houthis earlier this week. The UN Security Council met yesterday to discuss and vote on a resolution condemning the Houthis. The threat to navigational rights and freedoms in the Red Sea is a global challenge that necessitates a global response. The UN resolution passed. Eleven members voted for it, and four, including veto-wielding Russia and China, abstained. None voted against. The passing of the resolution amounts to implicit approval of Operation Prosperity Guardian, a multinational naval task force defending commercial ships in the Red Sea. The recent attack by the Yemen-based Iran-funded Houthis is the latest in a series of attacks on ships in the Red Sea since the start of the Israel-Hamas war. The U.S. again issued the Houthis a stern warning against continued aggression. The Houthis have a choice to make. Uh, they, uh, we, we warned them. Uh, we put ships in the Red Sea. They've got a choice to make, and uh, the right choice is to stop these attacks. And as I said again, I'll say it three times now, they'll bear the consequences for failure to do so. While these recent attacks caused no damage or injuries, international maritime shipping in Red Sea waters has been adversely affected. What's the economic outlook for the U.S. and the world this year? Yeah, I want to know, and I spoke to Paul Mueller, at the research fellow at the American Institute for Economic Research. 
To learn a little bit more about this, because domestically economists are predicting lower inflation and interest rates with a slowdown in growth. But is there a possibility of recession? Let's find out. It's certainly possible. You know, economists have been very surprised that we didn't enter a recession last year. And uh, so far, the, the macro data looks looks OK, but we should be concerned about these high rates and what kind of implications they have. Uh, there's a few other things we'll probably want to look out for this year in terms of what can be upset the economy and move towards a recession. OK, and so what are some of those other things? Well, so we certainly have geopolitical issues. You know, in the Middle East, uh, things have been heating up both with trade and with conflict there. If that grows, that would have a dramatic impact uh, on the global economy, both in terms of oil prices and the cost of shipping uh, through there. So, so geopolitics is, is a big question mark that could really change things dramatically. Uh, and then the third piece, and the, you know, they're, they're working on this, but what Uncle Sam does, uh, uh, government spending and changes in tax rates, uh, those can also have a pretty significant effect on the economy. So between the Federal Reserve, geopolitics, and uh, the, the national government, uh, there's possibility that things could, could uh, get worse. Right, and on the domestic front here, we have these high rates that could mean that savers are going to have a little bit of a benefit there and they're going to be rewarded. And even those long-term investments could become a little bit more popular again. But now a business economist at the Federal Reserve of St. Louis, he's saying that we will probably have a slightly worse economy this year, but the GOP will grow and that there will be gains in jobs and that could lead to a soft landing. Do you agree with this? I think it's possible. I think it's possible. Again, I kind of got burned. I was one of the people who were sure we would have a recession last year. Uh, I, I think a soft landing is possible. I don't necessarily think it's likely. The way I would describe the economy right now is that things are going okay, but I think they're kind of fragile. That is to say, I think that some bad news, some unexpected um, problems uh, could, could definitely change the picture fairly significantly. Paul Mueller, Research Fellow at the American Institute for Economic Research. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, certainly some interesting insights. World's grappling with a lot of challenges right now, but it seems like, you know, holding things together pretty well, a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a bumpy road, but it seems like yeah. things are going to work out. And I've heard it, it sounds like it's been, uh, we've been thrown a couple of curveballs here, but I mean, I've heard mixed messages as well about the soft landing. Others say that history teaches us that, of course, there's different opinions. Some say that because in 2008, a lot of the talks of soft landings increased and then we hit a recession. So there's, a, like I said, um, people are, don't seem to agree fully here. And of course, like he said, a lot of unknowns in the Middle East. Yeah, let's hope for the best. Yeah, all right, heading to break. Yeah, and the US Securities and Exchange Commission has approved the first US listed exchange traded funds for Bitcoin. We get you the details of what this means for you. Amazon is looking to cut jobs in its streaming and studio operations after massive spending in 2022. Stay tuned for the details with the host of NTD Business. Good to have you back and NTD business host Don Ma joined us here in studio to discuss the approval of Bitcoin ETFs. The U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission approved the first U.S. listed exchange traded funds to track Bitcoin. 
So Dan, is this going to be a game changer for the crypto industry? Well, Kevin, let me just say, I think this is a watershed moment for crypto. Uh, it, it is a major victory for the digital asset industry, which uh, has been trying for a decade, actually, to try to launch such a product. And uh, the SEC approved uh, 11 uh, applications. That's from BlackRock, ARK uh, Investments, Fidelity, and uh, many others here. And the ETF approval will, seems like, potentially further uh, legitimize Bitcoin. And it just made it much easier for Bitcoin investing because the ETF simplifies uh, the process for investors who want exposure to Bitcoin's uh, price movements without actually having to deal with the complexity of uh, buying and storing actual Bitcoins. Because if you want to have actual Bitcoins, you have to set up a crypto wallet and then ex accounts with crypto exchanges. And not to mention some crypto exchanges uh, have very poor cybersecurity records and are prone to hacks. So in contrast, uh, the ETFs are listed on tightly regulated uh, stock, stock exchanges and therefore are accessible uh, through retail investors existing brokerage accounts, uh, which are, of course, uh, closely supervised. And this could give a major boost for a crypto industry that has been plagued with scandals recently. The ETF structure also boosts the uh, accessibility of Bitcoin for institutional investors, um, some of whom are actually barred from directly uh, investing in alternative assets. And according to uh, chartered, uh, Standard Chartered Analysts this week, the ETF uh, could draw somewhere from 50 to 100 billion dollars uh, this year. So uh, pretty exciting news here. Yeah, sounds exciting. But tell us more about how these ETFs actually work. Sure. Uh, they're going to be listed on uh, the NASDAQ, uh, NYSE, and the Chicago uh, Board Options Exchange. And the, the, their assets will comprise of physical Bitcoin purchased uh, from crypto exchanges and held via custodians like uh, Coinbase Global. And the products will track uh, Bitcoin benchmark. Issuers of the ETF um, plan to charge fees uh, somewhere from 0.2% to 0.8%. Uh, um, so it seems like the floodgates here are open now and this could potentially drive up the price of Bitcoin as high as $100,000. Right now, uh, the price of Bitcoin is sitting uh, at around 46000 So a big uh, prospect of improvement here. Um, but still, you got to be you got to be careful because uh, Bitcoin ETFs, just like Bitcoin themselves, uh, carry risks for investors. Uh, the price of Bitcoin will just be as volatile, whether you're investing directly in, in Bitcoin or using an ETF. Um, so there's definitely voices out there who's um, raising these concerns, who are opposed to the SEC's decision, despite the industry celebrating uh, the news. Um, with the crypto industry, you know, beset with scandals recently, like uh, convictions, bankruptcies, lawsuits, and uh, massive, massive losses. Uh, what the SEC did uh, yesterday, I think, came to the rescue, actually, to the crypto industry. So let's oh. let's wait and see. Wow. Well, yeah, there's already 10 firms preparing for a big launch on this with a marketing push that's in the works. So I hear there's something with Amazon. You got some big news there? 
Yeah, yeah, just a quick update there. Uh, Amazon said yesterday that it will lay off several hundred employees in its streaming and studio operations. This is according to an internal note seen by Reuters. Now, last year, Amazon cut more than 27,000 jobs as part of a wave of U.S. tech layoffs. It followed heavy hiring during, uh, during the pandemic. Amazon also spent aggressively in 2022, closing an over $8 billion deal for MGM and paying almost $500 million on the first season of The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power on Prime Video. And Amazon shares were up about 1.5% in uh, afternoon trading yesterday. Hmm. More news of uh, layoffs, but thank you so much, NTD's ho uh, business host, Don Ma. Thank you. Stick around, companies show off the latest tech at the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas. This year's focus is on next generation AI with some exciting gadgets. I'm David Zhang in Silicon Valley, California, and we are NTD News. Welcome back, and we're off to Las Vegas, Nevada next, where the CES Tech Show is currently underway. Companies are showing off their latest tech from AI-powered dashboards to smart home technology and the next-generation hairdryer. Here's Entity's Cost MS with the latest takeaways from the show. As CES is now in full swing, Mercedes-Benz unveiled its concept CLA-class electric vehicle on Tuesday. It features an AI-powered dashboard integrated with a surround navigation system. We have put on a proof point that the E-Class today already has the infotainment domains and in the new CLA that is coming out next year, we are then launching a new virtual assistant which is generative AI based and it's there to create a more empathic and intuitive way to communicate with your vehicle. The new development sparked excitement as well as a dose of skepticism with some attendees. It's absolutely amazing uh, and it's uh, the future, uh, future car and I think that it, it, if it will be available, I would buy it. Yeah, but I still have skepticism about AI products. I question myself, is that the way of the future or not? I like it, but yet I'm hesitant. I guess I have to see it to believe it and see how well it's going to perform. Also at the event, Samsung focused heavily on smart things its smart home app and brand with added AI features. Most notably, the company introduced Bali, a bright yellow round robot AI companion. It's an updated version of a 2020 concept robot on wheels, equipped with a video projector. Although the company did not specify details about its availability. Upgrades have also come to the kitchen, as Samsung introduces its latest high-end refrigerators with AI vision inside. 
with AI vision inside, your fridge can recognize what goes in or is taken out, and it will update your food list. The fridge can also send you a notification for items you've set up with an expiration date. The event also features Samsung's latest OLED foldable displays, which are designed to be stronger than ever before. German automaker BMW is showcasing a remote-controlled valet parking concept. The vehicles are driven and parked remotely by teleoperation drivers. New advancements were also made in the cosmetic industry. L'Oreal introduces its next-generation hairdryer, which combines infrared light with air. The company says its AirLite Pro hairdryer can dry hair faster while using less energy than conventional hairdryers. What's really cool is that depending on your different hair type, as soon as you put an attachment onto the AirLite Pro, you'll be able to see what attachment it is and it will adjust the light and the air for you. But L'Oreal didn't stop there, as the company wants to define the next era of beauty tech. Let me introduce you to L'Oreal Paris Beauty Genius, our first virtual personal beauty advisor. This is not a chatbot, but rather a fully personalized AI and AI-powered solution based on an individual in-depth diagnosis. In addition, Japanese carmaker Honda is showcasing its latest electronic vehicle. The Honda Zero series won't launch until 2026, but the company presented two concept models at the electronics show. Last but not least, the event featured new technology introduced by Walmart. The company has unveiled plans to dive further into the world of AI and drones to improve its customers' shopping experiences. So you'll be able to like place your order uh, in the future, in the next three to four months, through Walmart app. And you'll be, if you're eligible for drone delivery, it will tell you you're eligible for drone delivery and you can choose to get your orders through drone delivery. The concept will allow consumers to receive orders almost immediately after ordering. CES will run through January 12th. Cost MNS, NTD News. Man, they really opened the Pandora's box when they came out with this AI. It's getting into everything now. That's so true. That's very true. But you know what? I saw this, uh, the fridge, and I thought that's awesome because then you don't accidentally buy like five blocks of butter in the next three weeks or something. So yeah. I thought that's helpful. Cool applications. And yeah. you know, there's this joke. It says, Alexa, do the laundry. And you know, we know we can't do that with Alexa, but maybe there's some AI powered robot that'll eventually be able to I'm do that. For sure. Something must be out there. <laughs> All right. Uh, we'll be back in just one minute. So just stay put. There are real consequences to controlled media. And NTD's founders know them firsthand. Our freedom of thought is the price. This is the lesson that guides us in everything we do. So there's the tear gas there. We know the value of a free society. And we take seriously the responsibility to preserve it. We 
RNTD. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. Good morning. Here are today's top stories. Former President Trump says he won't have time for retribution if he gets back in office. We bring you the highlights from his Fox News town hall last night and a surprising admission he makes about his vice president pick. Presidential hopeful Ron DeSantis wants to build a wall and Nikki Haley declares his campaign is exploding. Takeaways and analysis on the fifth GOP primary debate. And several congressional districts gear up for special elections, including former Speaker Kevin McCarthy's seat in California. The latest Houthi attack on Red Sea ships triggers another warning from the U.S. and action from the U.N. Security Council. A legal battle over accusations of genocide begins. South Africa calls for a stop to Israel's offensive at the U.N.'s top court. Chinese hackers suspected of gaining access to a U.S. geopolitical research organization. How did they do it? Get the full story right here. Canvassers in Iowa brave awful weather to get their message out before next week's GOP caucus. Hear what motivates them. This is NTD Good Morning. Live from our global headquarters, here are Evelyn Lee and Kevin Hogan. Hi there, welcome to NTD. Good morning, today is Thursday, January 11th. And in today's top news, we have updates coming out of Israel and Gaza. Yeah, Israel's ground offensive has discovered further evidence of hostages being kept in underground tunnels. Israeli Defense Forces also confirmed two Palestinian journalists as members of a Gaza-based terrorist organization. Israel's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu restated that Israel is fighting Hamas terrorists, not the Palestinian people. More on this now from Entities Cost Jimenez. Israel says it has confirmed the names of two Palestinian journalists responsible for operating a drone attack on Israeli forces on January 7th. The two journalists were Hamza el-Dadu and Mustafa Turia. The information is based on documents found by IDF members during a raid in Gaza. On Wednesday, Israel's military said it had found evidence hostages were present in an underground tunnel in the city of Khan Yunis. We found in this tunnel hostage remains, hostage DNA. Hostages were held here in this tunnel system. The military showed the tunnel to journalists who were escorted into a bombed-out neighborhood. Yeah. What can you tell us concretely about that learning curve? Is it something they need to be using drones? There's a lot of thought and a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of money. And We've come across uh, not once and not twice uh, in a house where we find Hamas firing from. Uh, we will go in and we will find Hamas with uh, women and children there uh, as uh, human shields. According to an IDF post on X, another tunnel shaft was located under a desk in a children's room at another location. It led to a tunnel that contained weapons, including RPG missiles and rockets, and was used as a training and combat area. Israel's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said in a statement on January 10th that Israel has no intention of permanently occupying Gaza or displacing its civilian population. Israel is fighting Hamas terrorists, 
not the Palestinian population. And we are doing so in full compliance with international law. The IDF is doing its utmost to minimize civilian casualties, while Hamas is doing its utmost to maximize them by using Palestinian civilians as human shields. Israel has come under pressure from the White House. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken met with Netanyahu on Tuesday, after which he remarked that Israel must stop taking steps that undercut Palestinians' ability to govern themselves effectively. Cost MNS, NTD News. A legal battle over whether Israel's war against Hamas terrorists in Gaza amounts to genocide opened today at the United Nations top court. Two days of preliminary hearings at the International Court of Justice will examine South Africa's call for judges to intervene in Israel's offensive. South Africa is asking the court to impose binding interim orders that include Israel halting its military campaign. Israel rigorously denies the genocide allegation. A decision will likely take weeks, and the case could take years to resolve. The Hamas-run Gaza Ministry of Health claims over 23,000 people have been killed in Gaza and that two-thirds are women and children. The number does not distinguish between civilians and combatants. Tomorrow, Israel will present its defense. Government spokesperson Elon Levy called the case, quote, an absurd blood libel. The UN Security Council is demanding the Iran-backed Houthi group stop their Red Sea attacks. This after naval forces shot down over 20 drones and missiles fired by Yemen-based Houthis earlier this week. The resolution passed with 11 members voting for it. Four countries abstained from voting, including Russia and China, and no countries voted against it. A key point in the resolution notes the right of UN member states to defend their vessels from attack. That implies approval of Operation Prosperity Guardian. That's the new naval coalition defending commercial ships in and around the Red Sea. Joining me now for more is Avi Milamit, a Middle East expert. He is a former Israeli intelligence official and a former senior official on Arab affairs. Good morning, Avi. Good to have you. 21 missiles shot down. And just a few weeks ago, good morning, um, they reportedly struck a ship, the Houthis reportedly struck a ship near the Indian coast. So how significant do you think this development is with attacks that seem to be intensifying and also spreading? It is very significant. First, those attacks are severely disrupting the world globe trade. Uh, this is one of the most strategic uh, uh, routes in the world, the passage that connects the Red Sea, um, the Indian Ocean and the Mediterranean. Some 40% of the global naval trade is going through this route. What we see today is a very dangerous situation where the Iranian regime, through the Houthis, is actually holding the world hostage. So what, what do you think they're testing U.S. and maybe the West's uh, patients or the lines that they can cross? Why do you, do you think there is a significant uh, worry here that there is a spread in what, what seems to be they go beyond the Red Sea? Well, we see here a very classic uh, situation where a thug, a bully, is actually all the time examining what's the red line of the rivalry on the other side. And what we see very clearly is that the Houthis and the Iranians are clearly not impressed, neither by the United States warning nor by the international community warnings. And they are continuing and escalating, escalating their attacks. Up until now, the United States and the allies, are the guardians of uh, property, 
they basically have been uh, confined with intercepting those attacks. Up until now, there has been no proactive attack by these forces to secure their interests. That's the reason why, up until now, the Houthis shows no sign for backing up. To the contrary, they are escalating their attacks as we see. You say that some are wondering if the Biden administration will actually show any significant response to this. What is a significant response in your eyes? How does that look like? A significant response is a response, a proactive action by the United States and the allies that basically will charge a very significant ease from the Houthis that will make them understand that continuing those attacks is going to be involved in a high price for them. That's the only way you deal with bullies. You don't appease bullies. You make sure that they understand that it's going to be hurtful and painful. Up until now, unfortunately, the Western coalition failed to express, to convey that message. And the outcome of that, as we see as a fact on the ground, is that those provocations, those attacks are continuing and escalating. So the U.S. and 13 other countries issued a warning. I think you've just touched on it. How effective do you think this coalition is going to be? Look, up until now, this coalition has been effectively intercepting these attacks. But this is not enough because you cannot be forever held hostage by the hand of those Houthis and their Iranian masters. There must be a point, and that's exactly was the whole idea of the warning where the United States and the allies says a message to the Houthis, basically saying this is a final warning. Now, if you draw line in the sand, you make sure that no one crossed that line. I want to remind us all what happened during the war in Syria. Back then, Obama's administration drew line in the war regarding the, in the sand regarding the use of chemical weapons. Unfortunately, what happened was that this line evaporated. And before you know that, Assad regime resume its attacks on its own people with chemical weapons. I think that the lessons must be very much resonant today with the Biden administration as we are talking about the challenge of the Houthis. Yeah, thank you for bringing this up again and putting things into historical perspective. Avi Milamed, I appreciate your time this morning. Thank you. And suspected Chinese hackers targeted a U.S.-based research organization last month. That's according to the U.S. cybersecurity firm Velexity. The firm wrote about the hacking in a blog post yesterday. Velexity says hackers exploited two flaws on VPN software to gain access to the organization. It didn't say what organization it was, only that it does research on geopolitics, including China issues, and that it often draws attention from state-backed hackers. The VPN software was made by Avanti, which says they are developing an update to fix the flaws. Avanti is also urging its customers to take extra steps to protect themselves. Velexity says it averted the government's cybersecurity agency and alerted them. Coming up, former President Trump says he won't have time for retribution. If he gets back in office, we bring you the highlights from his Fox News town hall last night and a surprising admission about his VP pick. Presidential hopeful Ron DeSantis wants to build a wall and Nikki Haley declares his campaign is exploding. Takeaways and analysis on the fifth GOP primary debate. Iowa canvassers are braving wind and snow to get their message out, tracking through record snowfall. And several congressional districts gear up for special elections, including former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy's seat in California. So stick around.
Thanks for staying with us. Mocking Chris Christie's exit and hinting at his own VP pick. Former President Trump in the spotlight last night at a Fox News town hall in Iowa. And today's Iris Tao, our White House correspondent, joins us for her observations from the town hall and more on Trump's vision of a potential second term. Former President Trump was commanding a stage all to himself here at a Fox News town hall on Wednesday night here in Des Moines, Iowa. He was cheered by his supporters as he walked on the stage throughout the town hall and even during breaks. He was actually even greeting supporters off stage 10-15 minutes after the event wrapped. So you can really see the support he has as is topping 50% in multiple polls here in Iowa. And there are a few highlights during the town hall. He responded to a major criticism by Nikki Haley and Governor DeSantis against him, which is saying that he, he's all focused on his issues during his campaign and that he's going to make this country look backward if he's reelected. Here's how he responded. I'm not going to have time for retribution. We're going to make this country so successful again. I'm not going to have time for retribution. And, and remember this, our ultimate retribution is success. And that is a softer tone, though, compared with his previous remarks when he, for example, warned that President Biden will be, quote, ripe for indictment for weaponizing the Department of Justice. It doesn't mean that he's not going to prosecute President Biden when he gets in office, potentially, like he warned before that Biden will be ripe for indictment. As you saw from Kirk and Joe's speech last Friday, which is just a big whining grievance fest, that's what the Democrats do. President Trump's going to go save the country. Again, he did it before, he can do it again. And another highlight from the town hall is when Trump took aim at Nikki Haley by mocking a hot mic moment by former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie. Right before Chris Christie made that announcement on Wednesday night that he was going to drop out of the race in 2024. Here's what Chris Christie and Trump were saying. And she's going to get smoked. And you and I both know it. She's not up to this. Actually, the biggest story wasn't the fact that he dropped out. Nobody cared too much about that. But... He had a hot mic to say that she doesn't have what it takes. She'll be creamed in the, in the election. And, I mean, I know her very well, and I happen to believe that Chris Christie's right. And all this is as Trump surprised all of us by saying that he already knew who his vice president pick would be, though he wouldn't tell us who it is. So a lot to watch for in the coming weeks and months as we wait for Trump to actually disclose his choice to voters. Back to you. And while Trump was teasing voters about a running mate, presidential rivals Nikki Haley and Governor Ron DeSantis went head-to-head -head in the fifth GOP primary debate. And with the Iowa caucuses less than a week away, the 2024 hopefuls traded blows over policy in a last push to win voters away from the GOP frontrunner, former President Trump. Entity's Jeremy Sandberg has takeaways from last night's debate. GOP presidential candidates Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley opened up in Wednesday's CNN-hosted primary debate by slinging subtle attacks and blatant accusations. Both called each other liars, with DeSantis alleging Haley works for donors. We don't need another mealy-mouthed politician who just tells you what she thinks you want to hear just to try to get your vote, then to get in office and to do her donors' bidding. Haley followed up by saying he's only mad about donors because they're no longer with him. He's upset about the fact that his, his campaign is exploding. The two Republicans directed viewers to fact-checking websites set up by their campaigns. 
But every time he lies, Drake University, don't turn this into a drinking game because you will be overserved by the end of the night. The rivals clashed over the U.S.'s role in supporting Ukraine against Russia, with DeSantis claiming Haley has a globalist agenda and believes the U.S. has unlimited resources. Here's the problem. You can take the ambassador out of the United Nations, but you can't take the United Nations out of the ambassador. Haley accused DeSantis of lying to Americans about having to make a choice, arguing aiding Ukraine could stop Russia from moving on to Poland and other NATO countries. You do not have to choose when it comes to national security. This is about keeping Americans safe. This is about preventing war. This is about keeping our military men and women from having to fight a war. DeSantis called Haley's hawkish foreign policy stance a carbon copy of President Biden's and an open-ended commitment, saying the U.S. needs to find a way to end the war so that it can focus on other national security concerns like the Chinese regime and at home. Haley delivered a blow to DeSantis halfway through the debate with criticism of his campaign, saying if he can't manage it well, how will he manage the country? He has blown through $150 million. I don't even know how you do that. Through his campaign, he has nothing to show for it. Ending illegal immigration was one issue where the hopefuls found common ground. We will build a wall. We will actually have Mexico pay for it in the way that I thought D Donald Trump was. DeSantis says it will be paid for by taxing remittances that immigrants send to family back home. He criticized former President Trump for promising record deportations. Trump deported fewer people than Barack Obama did when he was president. Biden's let in 8 million people just in four years. They all have to go back. We have to enforce the rule of law in this country. DeSantis says the number of people that will be amnestied if he's president is zero. We cannot do an amnesty in this country. Uh, first of all, it's going to do is cause more people to want to come illegally. So you got to enforce the law. It's got to be consistent. People got to know it's there. You also have to remove benefits uh, for people who are here illegally. Haley agreed, saying you have to deport them. Both say they want to cut government spending if they take the Oval Office and try to bring down inflation. The two candidates are pretty much tied in Iowa, where the first in the nation nominating contest will be held on Monday. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Snow squalls may have dumped record snowfall in Iowa this week, but that didn't stop plucky canvassers from going door to door in their mission to get people involved in the next week's GOP caucus. Over the last year, Drew Klein and his team walked door to door across the state in support of GOP candidate Nikki Haley. He says the Iowa caucuses will be an important indicator for the race to the White House cold out here, but this is just the, the finishing week in, in a long um, year of, of us being, you know, out here talking to, to voters. And so uh, while I, as one individual, might hit 50, 60, 100 doors, uh, thankfully we've got a, a team of, of staff and volunteers, you know, 150 strong that are out doing this exact same thing across the state. And as we gear up for the general election on November 5th, Republicans in the House of Representatives hold a slim majority of 220 to 213. But that could change with some congressional districts set to choose new representatives and special elections in the coming months. Here are some key races to watch in 2024. California Governor Gavin Newsom said on Monday that a special election will be held in May to replace former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. McCarthy announced his resignation from the state's 20th district last month. This came after he was ousted as speaker last fall. The seat is unlikely to switch to Democratic control, but McCarthy's departure has set up a crowded Republican primary on March 5th. 
In New York, Republican and former paratrooper Mazi Pillup will take on Democrat Tom Suozzi for a seat in the state's third congressional district that's been empty since George Santos was expelled from Congress in early December over criminal corruption charges and accusations of misspending campaign money. And whereas given his egregious violations, Representative George Santos is not fit to serve as a member of the United States House of Representatives. Also, things are heating up in Ohio. Republican Bill Johnson will step down from Ohio's 6th Congressional District on January 21st to head Youngstown State University, with Republicans expected to retain his seat. In the state's 9th District, however, Republican J.R. Majewski is hoping to unseat Democrat Marcy Kaptur, who is the longest-serving woman in the House. Republicans are also hoping to make gains in Washington State's 3rd Congressional District, where Joe Kent will run against Democrat Marie Glusenkamp-Perez, Kent was previously endorsed by former President Trump. After his opponent accused him of wanting to pardon people involved in the January 6th breach, he spoke up against alleged denial of due process of those arrested. Anyone committed any kind of act of violence on January 6th, they should be held accountable. A lot of those defendants were held without any kind of access to counsel, and a lot of them that did get access to counsel were denied exculpatory evidence. They were denied the footage that was suppressed by the Capitol Police, by Speaker Pelosi. All of these different factors have deprived people of their most basic you know, right to due process that we hold so sacred here in the United States of America. In Colorado, Republican Lauren Boebert won a narrow re-election bid in the state's third congressional district last year. She will now run in the heavily Republican 4th District in a bid to replace Ken Buck. She's been endorsed by House Speaker Mike Johnson. Ken Buck announced his resignation from Congress in November, saying that the nation is on a, quote, collision course with reality. The Republican Party of today, however, is ignoring self-evident truths about the rule of law and limited government in exchange for self-serving lies. I made the decision to leave Congress because tough votes are being replaced by social media status. It's time to stop feeding popular narratives and start addressing the long-term solutions. All eyes will be on Alabama's second district after a federal court ordered the state to redraw the congressional map in October. This created the state's second majority black district. Democrats view this as an opportunity to gain a seat in Alabama and 18 candidates have filed to run. In addition to Alabama, there are ongoing legal battles over redrawn congressional maps in several other states. It's something to keep an eye on in the run up to the November 5th. Yeah, a lot of factors that'll go into that balance of power. And you know, McCarthy last month, he wouldn't rule out taking up a position in the Trump administration. Oh, really? Well, let's keep an eye on that. Of course, we will keep you up to date, so stay tuned for that. But for today, we're wrapping up our show. We will keep you updated with the latest information. So stay tuned for our News Today broadcast at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Thanks for watching. I'm Evelyn Leaf. And I'm Kevin Hogan.